This podcast is sponsored by tenofthose.com. Tenofthose.com handpick the best Christian books that point to Jesus and sell them at discounted prices. The more you buy, the cheaper they get. Now, the book I'm going to talk about is by our very own Sarah Darg on this podcast. It's called Bumps, Babies and the Gospel. And it's excellent. And I would say that even if she was not my sister. It is a biblical, down-to-earth, equipping book where Sarah seeks to equip us in every way um, as we get ready to have a baby. And it's not just equipping in the practicalities, it's actually equipping to the heart. So as she walks us through Colossians, that she helps us to see how the Lord is preparing our hearts for this adventure of having a child. It's excellent, and you can pick up a copy at tenofthose.com. Welcome to Two Sisters and a Cup of Tea. My name is Sarah and I live in the UK and this is my sister Felicity and she lives in the US. Hello everyone. Great to be back, Sarah. I just really want to just like get in there first with my outstanding cup of tea I've got. Okay, go on then. It's a loose leaf black tea called Assam Melody. Oh no, is it that really smelly one? Like smelly, burny, burnt, burnt smell. Oh no, you're thinking of... Darjeeling. <laughs> I don't know whether you are or not, but I it might know. be that one. <laughs> no, no, this is a special one. It's really nice. I went into this really posh tea shop and uh, she, <laughs> the lady had got her hopes up because I had an English accent and I was asking about tea. And she, I said, I really like Yorkshire tea. She didn't know what I was talking about, but I said black tea with milk. And she took me to a range of options in between me picking my tea and that moment she did ask me how to sanitize my hands and I pressed the thing and it went straight in my eye like hand sanitizer in my eye <laughs> she was mortified I was embarrassed it was all very awkward but I came out with Assam Melody Sarah's laughing uh, I came out with Assam Melody and it's 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 been worth it I'm not sure it's worth like eye suffering <laughs> <laughs> oh good and I see you've got a milk jug there as well it's all very um well, yes. sophisticated today yeah exa- exactly that's me sophisticated mm, I yes. think if you're gonna have loose leaf yes, tea you gotta go for good. a milk jug <laughs> well I've just got a lemon and ginger no it's not a lemon and ginger so it's lemon and honey I've got a little bit of a sore throat coming on so um got my lemon and honey and I've got a wonderful biscuit because uh we've just moved house and um, a friend popped around a couple of packs of biscuits, including some VIBs, the oh. the very ones we were eating in the summer. Oh, those and, are um, good. They have really helped with everything over the last couple of weeks. It's been wonderful. So very thankful for. You're talking about the biscuits or the neighbours? Oh no, um, the biscuits have been very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very thankful for Naomi. Shout out to Naomi <laughs> for providing the biscuits. Um, very very thoughtful. <laughs> anyway, um, we were going to what were what we're going to talk well, about. So we were talking with one another weren't we, about how it's so encouraging that people have been writing in and telling us that they've started reading Esther or one of the mm. other books with with a friend or with someone that they know, and that's been so great for us to hear. And and we were just thinking, well, if others are thinking about doing that, what do you have to do to be ready <laughs> to read Esther or one of the other books in the Bible? What do you have to be to do read be ready? to do that because it might seem like we've just somehow got the knowledge and we definitely don't actually I don't think it does seem like that I don't think it seems like that I don't think I've got the knowledge no I I don't know I think the biggest thing that you can do before you sit down and read this with someone else is just read and read and read and read and read and read it through and I think I hope that's what we're doing and what we're modeling is just that we're just sitting down and really reading for what's there 
Mm. Um, I think that's the first big step. What would you add to that? Yes, I'd absolutely agree with that. And reading it regularly. So mm. as it's not like we've just done all our reading and now we're just having a few conversations. We're reading it all the time, aren't we, as we're having these conversations. And then I have, and I know you have as well, listened to a couple of sermons on it, just from people that we trust have given us a bit of, that's been helpful, I think, in giving us a kind of overview and hearing kind of how it can be applied. That's been helpful. I wouldn't say that I've gone into the commentary world no, on this. No, neither. No. I, I think talk- partly because partly we're not wanting to necessarily do that. Aren't we? We're just wanting mm. to, like, realistically, 20 minutes is about the kind of time frame we've got to sit down and go, right, let's just see what Esther's got to say to us today. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's what other people are thinking of doing as well, aren't they? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think we'd probably say, give it a read, give it a go, see what happens. If you get stuck when you're with your friend, you can just both go away and have a, have a little research, have a think about it mm. and then come back together. I think that's what we do, isn't it? Sometimes we have a conversation <laughs> before this conversation, like, oh, that was helpful. <laughs> that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> Okay, we should get into chapter yes. seven though. So I'm going to read for us, and then um, we'll get we'll get talking. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked Queen Esther, "What is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted." Then Queen Esther answered, "If I have found favor with you, your Majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life." This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Esther said, an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realising that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banqueting hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to the height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Mm, thank you, Sarah. It's worth saying, isn't it, that one of the things about the structure of Esther is that we do have this mirroring of the chapters. And so in this chapter here, it kind of mirrors what's going on in chapter five. And then chapter six is kind of the pivot point that everything changes. And we mentioned last time the the fact that the great reversal and, and various other little reversals are going to all point to that. And we're kind of moving into that, aren't we? So these mirroring chapters are kind of almost going to be undoing what has happened before. Yeah, definitely. And the big mirror point in this um, chapter is the banquet. So Mm -hmm. Esther's second banquet, her first banquet was in chapter five. This is her second banquet. So we're still on tenterhooks. Is she going to ask? When is she going to ask? What's he going to say? And we're kind of at that point, aren't we? Yes. And we're still (laughs) exactly the suspense. And here it is. 
she does it. And if we just consider the way that she does it, I love the way that Esther has sort of risen in dignity, hasn't she? She's very much Queen Esther. Mm. When if you think back to the very beginning, she was just a young girl, not really knowing who she was or where she was at. And, and actually here she is, Queen Esther answered, if I have found favour with you, grant me my life and spare my people. Mm. And isn't that a bold move to say to the king, I am one of those people that you have decreed need to be destroyed. And, and I think that's quite something that she very much intercedes and mediates for her people here. Yeah, she's really identifying with God's covenant community, isn't mm. she? She's she's putting herself right bang in the centre of God's promises to his people, as she kind of says, save my people. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like for me, I was reading it and it could have um, brought back the kind of, you know, the Exodus language of, um, oh no, let what my, is the Exodus? Let my people go. Let, yeah, that's it. <laughs> let my people go. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of thing, isn't it, where she's, almost kind of um, saying in God's voice, these are my people, Mm. let my people go, save my people, Um, which is just really, it's wonderful to see that progression in her faith, isn't it? The way that she's standing up in that way and the way that she's mediating for God's people in this moment. Yes, it is quite something, isn't it? And it, it then kind of helps us to see, as Mordecai suggested earlier on in the, in the narrative, maybe God has put you here for such a time as this. And this is the time Esther prays God that she is there to mediate for her people. And as we see her mediating, so we're reminded obviously of the greater mediator, the better mediator in the Lord Jesus. And I was thinking about what's that aspect of this that kind of points us to the better mediator. I think something for me is that there's been so much suspense. Like, is Esther going to ask? Is the king, what's the king going to say? What's going to happen with it? Well, it's also uncertain. Mm. Whereas when we think of Jesus as the mediator, there is such certainty because he has died on the cross for us already. And so the mediation is secure. Like it has been achieved already in a way which with Esther, we're never quite sure until actually two or three chapters later than this. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one aspect of me. Have you got any other thoughts on on that kind of thing? Um, I think it kind of harks back to what um, Nana was saying a couple of weeks ago in terms of her willingness and the beauty of that, that she's willing to stand and be counted. Um, and I think just the reminder as well, this is a reminder again that God's people are absolutely helpless without her mediating, mm. without her stepping up to be counted in this way. And that should force us and it should kind of point us to the fact that we are utterly helpless without our perfect mediator. Like yeah. we are, we are completely hopeless without the Lord Jesus um, intervening and saving us um, in the way that he does. And I think this should just point us to that, shouldn't it? Um, mm, yeah, that's really helpful. And so as we, and I think probably we see more of that, the more we understand the peril that the people are in here. And so then we, we understand more the peril that actually we are in as sinful people deserving of judgment yeah. and it kind of yeah. mirror it kind of points Definitely. us to that as well so we've yeah so that so that's where we've, we've got to with esther and then we've got this kind of continued reversal of what's happening to haman haven't we so mm. he's in the cha- couple of chapters before he set up this big pole um because he wants mordecai on it and then we very it's very speedy the decline and his yeah 
in failing on the pole, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I've, yeah, you sort of read verses five and six. Where is he? The man who dares do such a thing. And then like, that's it. An adversary and enemy. Mm. Haman, he's not been the enemy in the king's eyes. This vile Haman. That's such yeah. a like condemning kind of and it's phrase. The switch. It? It's the switch of the roles, isn't it? So we get the king mm. and queen. The queen is very much with the king at this point. And Haman, who used to be with the king and was kind of wearing the signet ring mm. and was very much identifying identify himself as um, the king's top man in the chapter before, he's now the enemy and he's um, he's taken out of the picture, isn't he? Yeah, that's it's so helpful to see that, the, the shift, Sarah, that you've pointed out there. Um, and as we see that, then actually our hopes for the people are kind of bolstered, aren't they? Because mm-hmm. Haman is, is gradually or speedily being moved out of the picture. And it really happens. It's almost comical, isn't it? This moment, the next moment, that king got up in a rage, went out to the garden, and then Haman's trying to plead for his life. And from the king's point of view, it looks like he's about to assault the king or molest the the queen, as as it says here. And suddenly that's it. And the guy who comes in, as soon as the word left the king's mouth, uh, they covered Haman's face. And then one of the eunuchs, he says, so quickly, there is a poll. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ready and waiting I think it maybe shows us a little bit of how they all felt about Haman that's reading into the text but I feel like the eunuch wasn't a fan <laughs> <laughs> I think building on last week's as well so we um I've noticed the just the difference in the clothing that's going on in these chapters so we've got kind of Mordecai we talk, talked about the humility of Mordecai last week um you know, he started in sackcloth and ashes and then he was robed in the king's robe on the king's horse and that kind of change. And then you've got um, Haman, who's gone from wearing the king's signet ring and having all power in the empire to then his head being covered and being taken to death. And just that, like those, yeah, the way those shifts are happening and the way that we're seeing God at work in those moments, I think is really cool again, as we see this unpacked in the book. Yeah, I agree. I agree. One of the things I think we really see here is that Haman is, as he's swiftly delivered over to death, justice is done. And I think we rejoice as we see Mordecai rescued and Haman judged. And it's not so much that we're delighting in the death, but this is a person who has been against God's people from the very beginning. And as Mm. we've seen him kind of his getting his just desserts, then that is it. I think that's a good thing, isn't it? So as we see this justice done, God is, is sort of dealing out justice in a righteous way, a triumphant way. Yeah, definitely. It's not it's not irrational, is it? As in, like it is fairly gruesome, but um, this is this is what Haman had devised for his enemy Mordecai. Yeah, and so he's getting what he he intended for someone else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think I think we're going to see as we go on into the rest of the book, we're going to see some more kind of potentially gruesome things as justice is dealt, but it always is dealt with as a just thing. And I don't think the narrator comments on these things because that's not the big picture. That's not to diminish what's going on. Mm. But if we sort of see it in a kind of God's justice is being done, it is a good thing. I think that's helpful. I was thinking that with the poll being so high, and the irony of Haman being raised up so high, but only in his death, because he's been trying to be raised up all the way through, hasn't he? He's been basically wanting yeah. to be king. And actually, as he's hanging on that pole, that's the highest. That's, yeah, yeah, I know. So high and yet so dead. <laughs> 
Yeah. And yet, isn't it interesting? And I don't know whether you can draw these parallels or not, but actually in his death, in the Lord Jesus's death, that's the, that is the height because that is where, mm. you know, that's that the glory, his glory is seen in the cross, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the height of his salvation. I don't know. Like, can you draw those kind of parallels? I don't know. I think so. I think you can go there. And I, and maybe from a slightly different angle, you could say that Jesus he stoops so low Mm. and is hung on the cross, which is the lowest, the criminal's cross, the lowest that you could go in some ways, that we might then be raised high. And so as we depend upon the lowliness, the stooping of Christ, so we can be certain that we will be raised up. And Haman, who did not depend on any way, in any way on anyone but himself, is not anywhere. He is left low. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really sobering, isn't it? And I think mm. it comes back to that kind of pride and humility thing that we were talking about last week as well. I'm struck with um, a bit of Philippians chapter three. Um, if I just read it out, it says, for I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mindset, their mind is set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there. I think it's just really striking that kind of, for me, that kind of describes what's happening here. Mm. Hey, it kind of describes Haman kind of completely in his, in his appetite is only for himself and his destruction has happened here. His glory is in his shame in being hung high on that pole. Yeah. And the people are awaiting a saviour, aren't they? And that the saviour has come in the form of Esther, but they still need salvation. They're still waiting for that. Like the edict is still there. We're still kind of, um, you know, we're waiting with bated breath. Are they still going to be saved? Um, and their citizenship is is not of this this empire, is it? It's of somewhere completely different. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that's a really helpful perspective to bring on it. So let's let's consider how then this drives to the heart. Like, how does it help us to live for Jesus as we see all this in action? I think it as yeah I think it, it grows our view of Jesus doesn't it mm. as we as we've been saying the last couple of weeks as we see those connections we're able to springboard back into Esther but also into other parts of the Bible and go wow like Jesus is this big a deal he's this perfect he's this beautiful he's this glorious and that 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 is as much heart application as as it is to to go off and do something as a result of it. Mm, I think that's right, absolutely. And, and we're more convinced of that as we see this. And I think as we mm-hmm. see Haman the Agagite destroyed, we know that God champions his people and will not let their enemies triumph. And we know ultimately that comes about through Jesus and the cross. And so I think as we see a picture of that here, we're all the more confident that our God is in charge, that he is in control, and that as he purposes so things will happen. And I think that's a wonderful reassurance to me. And even just, you know, looking at Esther as the mediator. So he's put her there and he's put Jesus in exactly the right spot so that we can trust him and know yeah. that that we're, we're okay. Like it's going to be okay, isn't it? Because we've got Jesus. Even when, yeah, even when it doesn't look like it on the ground, I think, yeah, yeah we have that. We have that big picture, don't we? We have that big view. So yeah. good. So yeah. needed. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, do you want to pray for us, Sarah, as we draw to a close? Yeah, I'd love to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much um, that 
in this book of Esther and um, in the gospel itself, we see we see you at work. Ultimately, we see the Lord Jesus raised high. Um, we see him and his glory on that cross um, in a way that is in the world's eyes is only shameful. And yet in your eyes, um, it's, it's his complete glory as he works to bring us from death to life. And we just praise you so much that we get to be a part of that big picture. We thank you that your story stretches into the 21st century and that we get the privilege of reading Esther and seeing the Lord Jesus through it. We praise you so much for that, Lord, and we pray that our hearts would be warmed with um, the beauty of Christ and what it is to be trusting you and your purposes to be at work. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I've just really enjoyed this cup of tea. I've really enjoyed Esther, but the cup of tea has been a very good accompaniment. <laughs> oh, I wish I was in the same room as you and I could actually, like, you know, have a cup and test I it myself. I know. Imagine that someday, someday. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, we always have questions in our show notes to help the discussion. So, so do check that out. And uh, anything else we need to add, Sarah? I think that's it. See you next time. See you next time. This podcast is sponsored by tenofbows.com. Check them out for great resources.